so, so this, this message is actually called God's Oscars. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And then, then it has a little subtitle called A Spear in His Hands. Okay, you ready? All right, so if you want to flip open your Bible, you can, or you can listen to the paraphrase. I'm actually in 1 Samuel in chapters 1 through 3, so if you want your, your Bible open so you can make notes in the uh, margins, do it, or uh, take notes, or whatever you want, or, or don't, whatever you want to do. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase this because I think it's important to kind of move through and see why we're even looking at this story. 1 Samuel 1 through 3 tells the story of Elkanah, who loved his wife, Hannah. We all know Hannah, right? I like that guy. I like, I like this Elkanah guy. And although Hannah was barren, her husband gave her double portions. Say double portions. <laughs> and tried to console her heart. Hannah lives consumed with grief because she is provoked year after year by Elkanah's other wife, Paniah, who the Lord has given many children. Man, nothing like having to live with that staring you in the face every day, right? But if you were in the school today, you'll know that we had the privilege of praying one year ago for a couple from Africa who were diagnosed as barren. And two weeks ago, three weeks ago on a Sunday, we had the privilege of being there for the dedication of Malachi, their absolute miracle baby. And you know what the word of the Lord was? Come on. Thank you, God. It was in 12 months, you're going to hear a baby crying in your house. I didn't know they were labeled barren. And they were so undone. They were pregnant that month after almost nine years. And little Malachi with his big eyes looking right at me, I was like, oh, yeah. You're like an old-time prophet, and you needed to come for such a time as this. We have now met, I personally have met 39 babies in our ministry that were all born to barren couples. Just saying. The church says don't pray for that because it's too hurtful. I'm like, I'm going to pray for whatever the Lord says to pray for. Sorry. You can tell how I feel about that. So... Paniah has all these children, and then Hannah, what she does in her plight and in her grief, she goes to the temple of the Lord, and there, though she's deeply distressed and even bitter, she vows before the Lord. So take a look at 1 Samuel 1.10, if you have your Bibles open. O Lord of hosts, she prays, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She spoke in her heart with only her lips moving. So along comes Eli the priest. And he's observing her, right? Instead of praying himself, I just found that kind of interesting. He was observing her. During her time, and he took her for a drunken woman because he was observing, not praying. Sorry. Just kind of comes out. Hmm. Sometimes we do that. We go, that's not God. Really? You might be surprised. Sometimes it's not God. A lot of times it is God. You say it's not God because we're busy judging instead of praying. Oh, okay. 
Let's go back to the story. It's so much safer. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready up? Okay. Hannah denies drinking and declares her great anxiety before the priest. And then Eli has a change of heart, doesn't he? I love that. He, he blesses her, and then he asks that God grant her petition. Aren't you glad we don't need people to say that to us? We go straight to the high priest himself, and he tells us what he grants, all right? So in the morning, she worshiped, and after returning home, she conceived and bore a son. Who is it? Samuel. Okay. So when Samuel was weaned, it's first Samuel one twenty four. Hannah took him and her offering and presented the child to Eli the priest. Hannah, her husband, Elkanah, and their small son worshiped and declared the greatness of God. You know what, you guys? As I read this story, it just gutted me because I thought, how much trust and devotion do you need to have to give God your little child? The one you prayed so long for to give him up. Some of us need to give over our adult children to God in the same way. That didn't go over very well. Just, <laughs> I was apparently saying a lot tonight that, listen, if you have adult children and they're not walking with the Lord, I, I, I am asking you to declare over these children, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care how old they are excuse me, or what it looks like. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And they have a place, they have a rightful place, and just declare what is so in the heavens. Declare it, okay? So as Samuel ministers to the Lord in the temple, you need to know that he was unaffected by the evil around him that came into the temple through the corrupt sons of Eli fascinating. The more you're ministering unto the Lord, the less slimed you are by the stuff going on. Take heart. 1 Samuel 2.26 says that Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. The word says the same thing of Jesus, right? So Hannah and her husband brought a new robe each year when they offered the yearly sacrifice. Every year, she makes a new robe and brings it to her son. And then Eli would bless them and ask the Lord to give them more children. She would go on to have three sons and two daughters. The formerly barren woman is now in a home as a happy mother, just like the word of God says. Increase comes through sacrifice. Not in a religious way. It's a life. When Jesus paid it all, he paid everything for us so that we would live out of the overflow of the Father's love and we would continually minister to him and give him our lives, not in a performance way, in a surrendered way. That's what Samuel did. So it's interesting that Eli receives a prophetic word that the Lord has turned against his household. Listen, the Lord declares Eli's strength will be cut off in all of his house, even declaring in 1 Samuel 2.34 that Eli's two sons will die. Yikes. That's not a prophetic word anybody wants to give, right? Verse 25 says that the Lord is going to raise up a faithful priest who will do what is in the Lord's heart and what is on his mind. This priest 
would be established and protected by the Lord and go as the Lord's anointed forever. So let me read you that. Chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. It says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And Samuel replied, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. So we read again in verses 2 through 6, it happens a second time exactly the same way, right? Most of you know this story. But then in verse 7, it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I want you to see something here. Samuel doesn't know the entirety of who the Lord is. He's simply disciplined enough to do what he's asked to do. He's asked to minister unto the Lord, and he doesn't even fully know him. I want you to know, in the 15 years that I was so sick and in so much pain, I would surrender myself to the Lord, and I would minister to the Lord and receive from the Lord, and I did not fully understand, nor had I been baptized in the fire of God yet. I didn't know that part about God. I thought those people were whacked. (laughs) But listen, day after day after day after day for almost 15 years, I laid, surrendered to God, not because I am trying to tell you I'm a holier person or something. I'm trying to tell you how desperate I was. I believe that Samuel was the same. He's in the house of a priest who can't control his own sons. What can he do? This is his place in his life. He has to come back to the Lord only in the way that he knows the Lord continually because it's a lifeline. Do you understand? When we want things to change, we have to hang on to the Lord as a lifeline. Because only then will we have new revelation. And it's the third time the Lord calls Samuel and he went to Eli in the same manner as before. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy and Eli now instructs Samuel to lie down again. And if he heard the voice once more to reply, speak Lord for your servant heard. Samuel did as he was told. So there's good news for those of us who have ignored the Lord. This is four times. So some of you who got the word tonight. (laughs) It's time. The Lord came and stood calling as at other times, but this time using his name, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant here. So from this moment, the Lord instructs Samuel that he will fulfill the word against Eli and his household. By morning, Eli called him and asked to know what the Lord had spoken, commanding Samuel not to hide anything. Samuel revealed all the Lord had said, and Eli responded, let him do what seems good to him. Who's going to argue with God? When you speak words released from the Spirit, 
They have power. Amen? So finally, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 3, verses 19 and 20. In paraphrasing, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. None of them. None of them. All Israel knew Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And at Shiloh, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. Listen, Samuel had learned to abide in the Lord even before the Lord was fully revealed. I think that when the Lord commands us to return to our first love, when we have a first love affair with Jesus, we'll do whatever he says. But when we fall away from that, we we start to stagnate and we start to do the same thing all the time, forgetting that God is El Elyon, Elohim, creator God. And we, we shrink him down, don't we, to our experiences and, the, and these little moments. And really, what, what we're seeing here is a disciplined life is not a life to be despised. Hey, man, I love Passion Grace Camp all day long. But without any discipline, without any discipline in the presence of God and in intimacy with him, we cannot expect to be transformed. Amen? So, so I feel like it was the same thing. I, I was doing this discipline thing, and yeah, I, I had some jacked up stuff. I, I needed deliverance. I had, I had critters, and I had junk going on. I had emotional healing need that needed to happen before my physical miracle was manifest. But I still, every morning, had these crazy encounters with God because God will always fall on his people who will sacrifice their time and their hearts just simply to encounter him. Amen? So listen, let me, just, let me just put some things together before we go on. Samuel had a very praying mother. How helpful, right? And he was dedicated to ministering the Lord. I think we made that clear. Samuel's life also showed that he had a very, very high value for honoring He had to know everything that was going on with Eli's sons and Eli himself, and yet he honored the man for the position he was in. That is so rare today. He was untouched by the evil. We established that. He was responsive. It took him four times the first time, but you can bet it didn't take him that long after that, once he knew it was the voice of the Lord. He was singly focused. Say singly focused. focused. On On God. That's right. He was patient, he was obedient despite his age, he was trustworthy, and he was trusting. He spoke truth, and he was faithful. All these are values. I want you to know that Samuel's name means the name of God, or God has heard. Boy, did his mother name him aptly. God has heard, and God hears him. Right? So all Israel heard about Samuel being the anointed of the Lord, and he didn't even have social media. (laughs) Just let that other bomb just sit right there. The words he released were the heart and mind of God, and he spent his life worshiping and ministering to the Lord. So from this personal place of intimacy, knowing God, then he could obediently fulfill the requests of the Lord, even when the prophetic words he released were not popular. They caused fear, and they caused him to fear for his own life. 
The only way we can be bold and courageous and obedient is to be in greater levels of intimacy. I just went to the bathroom back there and I had the privilege of praying for somebody. I was like, I don't really have to go to the bathroom that bad, Lord. He goes, uh, yeah, you do. I goes, I, I don't, but okay. And I went back there and then I had a, a fantastic encounter because the Lord was already working. I just happened to be a passerby. How are you doing? Yeah, you look amazing. That's right. That's right. Nothing like getting healed by the bathroom. Cha-ching! That's right. God is in the business of restoration. And, and when we are intimate with him, then we won't miss those opportunities. I mean, we'll miss them when we're tired. We'll miss them when we really don't want to do it. All that stuff. But you will miss them less the more intimate you are. You know, because you hear it in this house, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So even the foreshadowing through the Old Testament, Samuel was born to be a mighty weapon in the hand of God. Watch this. Not because Samuel was a great man, but because God is a great God. Don't we love to do that? Don't we love to say, that's a great man of God right there? Really? No. No. God looks great on his people. God looks great on all people if they just step up and do what he's asked. So Samuel fulfilled his destiny as a history maker who transformed a nation and a people all for the glory of God and the foreshadowing of the Messiah himself. Your life is no different. Okay, here's where the Oscars come in. Are you ready? <laughs> so I woke up, and I hear the Lord say this. You know, you are, and all of you are, my Oscars. I'm like, Oscars. I don't have a TV. You know, we haven't had a TV for 12 years, so I'm like, I'm in a TV. Like, we watch movies, but we don't have a TV that subscribes to anything. So I go, you mean like the Oscars in the Academy Awards? I haven't seen the Academy Awards for a bazillion years. I don't know. And, and then I just feel God smiling on me and then encouraging me to understand what the Oscars represent. So bear with me. So to put this into perspective, because my family has not had regular television service for a dozen years, I don't know what's going on in the world. I don't watch the news. If I need to know, my husband will tell me. That's the way it rolls because he's a news guy. So if I need to know, I always say, Lord, whatever I need to know, have Mike call me. You know, tonight he wanted me to know that he had used his new cooking thing that he bought and he made Asiago shrimp and he's very happy. So that was what I needed to know tonight that my husband has now added number two to his things to make. He makes chicken chili. Now he makes Asiago shrimp. I'm very excited. Hey, listen. Woo! Come on. Growth. Growth. <laughs> I love it. It was such a great text. I was like, look at your growth, honey. This is so good. <laughs> All right. For those of you who don't know, you don't have a TV, you don't care about Hollywood, whatever. Oscars are the awards that are given to those in the creativity of cinematic arts. Okay. They are given as an international recognition of excellence. Remember that. They are given as an international recognition of excellence. So the gold statue is 
representative of a knight, and the knight's name is Oscar. Okay, are you good? Sir Oscar. Sir Oscar. It is Sir Oscar. I felt the presence of the Lord come really, really close to me, and then I heard this. You are all representatives of my excellence in creativity, for you are my finest work. Yes. You want to say something? Oh, Michelle comes. She's all media, Adobe media. So you wanted to add something to the academy. I I work in Hollywood. Um, One thing that's really, really powerful in all this is that those who are awarded an Oscar are actually voted upon by other creatives in the industry. So not anybody can just say, oh, I'm, I, you know, you can give you an Oscar. If you have won an Oscar in the past, you are on the committee to vote for the next Oscar. Word right there. Woo! Thank you. So you are all representative or representatives of my excellence in creativity for you are my finest work. Whenever the Lord speaks like this, it always undoes me. It just re-racks my thinking about everybody and myself. And, and, and I was just laying there listening to him. And, and it, especially for me, because I know what a wreck I am. I'm a wreck. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, you can do nothing. But when he's going to say, you're my finest work, what? <laughs> so then I hear him say, look up what Oscar means. I go, all right. So as I research the origin and meaning of the name Oscar, I start laughing out loud. Okay, Lord. It means spear in God's hand. Isn't it great? Now do you know why? Okay. Spear in God's hand, champion warrior. Whoa, come on. And you know, in, in, in another, uh, in the Germanic uh, language, it means friend of deer. I'm like, well, I can take that too. I can be a friend of a deer, but I actually want to be a spear in God's hand. You know, the friend of the deer is cute. I love animals. But the spear in God's hand, I knew that he was talking about that. Because he went on to, to show me what it looks like across the world when the people of God stand and take their rightful place. We are an arsenal of weaponry. And you know what the choice of weaponry, the launching of the ammo is? It's love. The ammunition to destroy the enemy is love. That's what he uses to bring forth his kingdom. So I think you should tell somebody that's near you, you know, you're a weapon. You're a weapon in the hand of the Lord. Okay, I want you to see something. If you have your Bible open, flip open to Jeremiah 51, verses 20 to 23. I want to show you something here. Isn't this a good word? I was so encouraged. Are you encouraged? You need to be encouraged, everybody. We need more hope. So Jeremiah 51, verse 20 says this, you are my hammer and weapon of war. 
With you, I break nations in pieces. With you, I destroy kingdoms. With you, I break in pieces the horse and his rider. With you, I break in pieces the chariot and the charioteer. With you, I break in pieces man and woman. With you, I break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you, I break in pieces the farmer and his team. With you, I break in pieces governors and commanders. There are so many commentators who weigh in on this passage. First, that it is speaking of Christ being the hammer and the weapon of war. Some say it's only about Israel, while still others say, no, this is the destiny of the bride of Christ. I believe it's all of those. I believe that Jesus is the hammer. We carry the hammer. We'll never know what the hammer can do if we don't open our mouths and put our hands on people and proclaim what God is saying. If we are a spear, then we are a deadly weapon in the hand of God, and we are perfectly positioned through intimacy with the Father. Say amen. Amen. It is the Holy Spirit who says when to go and when to stay. But if you are intimate with God, then you are always sharpened and always ready. Why did I go to the bathroom? Because God said, go to the bathroom. And if I thought I wasn't, I didn't have what God gave me, I would think, oh, I better go back in there and pray it up. I better get myself together before I go back and pray for this beautiful woman. No, I'm a spear in the hand of God. And I am going to go where God says go and set free who he says set free because I live glued to him. And when I don't, Good. When I don't, then I'm like a clanging gong. I got nothing. If I don't have his love fully infiltrating me, spilling over, I got nothing. As Samuel grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man, Jesus did that. We also have that as co-heirs. We grow in wisdom and in stature. We are called to the same standard. We're given the same promise. So when I ask the Lord, okay, Lord, tell me what the controlling spirits in my region are. I don't come against controlling spirits in my region. I just Pray for everybody I come in contact with in my region because that's what tears down the strongholds. And the Lord surprised me. He told me apathy and lust. I was like, what? He goes, think about it. Apathy and lust. What is that? He goes, not lust like you think. He goes, although that's part of the perversion. He said, lust, lusting after everything everybody has. Lusting is never to be satisfied. I need more, I need more. I'm insatiable, I need more. And apathy is, don't care about that. Doesn't affect me. I'm doing my thing. I'm working. I got this house. I got my two kids and a cat and all that, you know? I got everything I need. I don't need any of this other stuff. I don't need your religion. I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your stuff. I don't need, I don't need. Apathy. Or, I go to church every Sunday. I'm a good person. How do I feel about that? I should keep my lips to myself. (laughs) 
Listen, Romans 8, 9 in the Passion Translation says, but when the spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the spirit. And if you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. What do people need? They need an encounter. They need a love encounter. Do you know, we lived next door to our neighbors for years and years and didn't know anyone because in my neighborhood, everyone shuts their garage. It's just a thing. But then they got a dog. I love dogs. Dogs are God's favorite because dog spelled backwards is God, just so you know. And for all you cat lovers, cat spelled backwards spells tack. It means nothing. Just saying. (laughs) People hate me when I say that. I'm just saying... Golden retrievers are my dog, and my neighbors got a golden doodle puppy. And they named it Murphy. That was one of my golden's names. So then, of course, I had to come outside. Because now, they've lived next to me for five years, but they have a dog. So I can talk to them because they have a dog. They won't let me watch the dog anymore because they say when he comes to my house, he doesn't want to come home. (laughs) Well... Just have a way with dogs. Just love them. But this whole encounter with them, with the dog, has not led me to preach at them, but it has led to a relationship where if their kids are out front, I actually know their children's names. I know their names. And I'm able to talk to them, and they go, when they they saw me leaving all the time, they're like, what is it you do? I'm a minister. Travel all around. Now they ask me where I've been. They ask me what I've been doing. Okay, I didn't thump my Bible over their heads and I didn't try to coerce them into believing in Jesus. I just pray for them a lot and I'm super friendly and I actually really, really, really like them. I'm not afraid to get to know them. I have to say how sad it is that it took a dog, but we need to know who we're living next to because how can you be that person to minister to them if you don't know them at all? If we are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, we are not of him. The spirit of God is always doing something new. Listen, that, that phrase, if we're not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, we are not of him, actually means this in the Greek. If anyone is not joined to the spirit of Christ, he cannot be himself. It's almost the same phrase that is used in the prodigal son story in Luke 15, 17. When the word says the prodigal son became himself or came into himself, became, that's the same word. Are you getting it? You you cannot be yourself without this anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's so powerful. It's impossible to be the true self. Say true self the true self that God created us to be without being infused with Christ through faith and the baptism of his Holy Spirit. So Romans 8, 12, I'm going to finish up, says the flesh has no claim on us. And no, we have, listen, we have no obligation to live in obedience to it. Why did the sword of the spirit, why did the word of God come to separate Marrow from bone. Because that's the deepest part of the flesh. Are you kidding me? Have you ever tried to get marrow out of a bone? I don't do that. But some people love it. Have you ever tried that? It's hard. It's way up in there, isn't it? The word of God. 
right through it, separating what is fleshly within us. Why are we here? Why are we here? What is the whole point of everything? Genesis 1, 27 and 28 said, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then it goes on to say, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Rule over. And then it goes on to say, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Every creature that moves on the ground. This does not say every visible creature. Who moves along the ground? Who is all about tripping people up? What do you think God was talking about? Subdue means this. Overcome, bring under control. Restrain, overpower, defeat, vanquish, crush, master, suppress, dominate, rule over, triumph over. What's he talking about? Whose dominion is this earth? Christ has given all authority and power in heaven and on earth. That's directly from the Father. As believers in him, we are vice regents. We are his ambassadors. And we have been given complete dominion over the earth to rule over it for the glory of God and the passion of his Christ. Come on, are you getting it? So when he said subdue the earth, Vanquish it, crush it, destroy it. Who's he talking about? The enemy. Satan was cast down here with one third of the angels. Now we call them demons. His power is restricted, limited, and temporal because Jesus dealt him the fatal blow on the cross. Christ is king of the earth, and we are the one he invites through his authority and power of the Holy Spirit to subdue the enemy right here and right now. And hey, everybody, it's not optional. You don't go, oh, let those agape freedom fighters do that because that's what they do. Let these guys do it. That's That's what they do. I don't do that. I just sit in my cubicle and type. God calls us spears, weapons in his hand. What, what's the weapon for? Subdue the enemy. But you know, if you are not ruling over the enemy, chances are you're trying to rule over another person or you let them rule over you. Nowhere in that passage of scripture does it say rule over one another. It says subdue the enemy, but what happens is we all get sidetracked and we start not doing that and we start trying to control everybody. Leave the controlling up to God. We are to rule and reign right here. And the way that this spear stays sharpened is just like Samuel. Be wholly devoted, singly focused on God. I don't care if you're cooking dinner or driving your car. If you're working, where is your mind? 
in unity with him, in communion with him. Remember, Hannah and her husband prayed continually for Samuel, but do you know you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus praying for you? Two-thirds of the Trinity are interceding for you day and night. We are called to minister unto the Lord. Sometimes I say, I bless you, God. I just bless you. I just, I can't say anything else. It just makes me cry. I just bless you because you're so good. We are to live from honor. This is how your spear stays sharp, everybody. Live from honor and give honor. Generosity is not optional. Be a generous person. Always be a generous person. Be loving. Be responsive. These are all the things that Samuel did. Tell the truth. Do not fudge something or manipulate. That's what the world does. Practice discernment. Remain undefiled by all the evil around you, just like Samuel. Be obedient. Do what God asks you. Go to the bathroom if you don't have to. (laughs) Be trustworthy and be faithful. Let me finish with this, and I believe we're going to do an impartation. And then at the end, if you still need prayer and you have not received the fullness of your healing, I don't know how many of you have been checking out your bodies, but you know, it might be a good time to check that out while I read this scripture. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, follow God and imitate all he does in everything you do. For then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters and continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance in heaven and earth. Ephesians 5, 8 and 10, last scripture. Once your life was full of sin's darkness, but now you have the very light of our Lord shining through you because of your union with him. Your mission, say my mission, mission. is to live live as a child child. flooded Flooded. with his revelation light. And then the supernatural fruit of his light will be seen in us in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And in this revelation light, we will choose what is beautiful to God. Amen? All right, before we have impartation, I want you to hear a story. I was in, um, I don't remember where I was. I think I was in Greenwich, Connecticut uh, about a week and a half ago. I was in New Jersey doing a conference, and then I had to go up to Connecticut uh, for a meeting and then come back down for Voice of the Apostles. And when I was up in uh, going up to Connecticut, I had a call from my publisher. Um, and so I called him back. We're real good friends. And he said, oh, my gosh. He goes, is anything going on with, like, the story of your life? Did any of that stuff that's going on about the movie about your life, did that ever work out? And I said, no, no, not yet. And he goes, okay, well, can I just tell you the story of this thing that happened? And he, he's just a lovely guy. He actually is the one that got Heaven is for Real made into a movie. Uh, so he, he's a very legit and loves Jesus. But he, he wanted to tell me the story of a, of a little lady from Compton. 
And the reason that he told me the story was because then he asked me if he could present my story to these same people. I said, have at it. Go ahead. So, so there's a woman in, in Compton, and she uh, is a chaplain. She has raised five children with no spouse. This little woman got the bus from her church, and she heard God say to her, I want you to go to the least of these. She had a jail ministry in Compton, that area of L.A. She got the little bus, little one of those little van things, and she drove all the way up north to Folsom Prison because she heard the Lord say, go to the least of these. So she went into death row because she is a certified chaplain in the prison system, so she can go. She's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and she wanted to minister to the worst of the worst because that was her assignment. So she went into death row in the solitary confinement wing of the prison. So Joel's telling me this story, and I'm like, my mouth is hanging open. She asked the guard to take her down to the last cell, and he said, you don't want to go down there. That's Diaz. He's too far gone. He's been in solitary for four years. And she says, young man, because she's an older lady, young man, Jesus died for him too. I want to tell him about the Bible study we have. And so the guy goes, suit yourself. And he walks her halfway down. And then she looks in this dark hole and she says, young man, God has a hit on you. He came out of the gangs. She said, God has a hit on you using the language that he would understand. And Jesus loves you. And she invites him to this Bible study. So she doesn't give up. She stays up there. She keeps on coming back. She drives back down. She drives back up. She drives back down. She drives back up. This story is so insane. That's a long way, everybody. And she's by herself. And and she ends up ministering to this guy. And he ends up getting saved. It's the craziest story. He's the most hardcore criminal. He's a murderer. He's a man forgotten by society, doomed to die. And she kept calling him my beloved. What? This story of transformation. Casey is a completely new man. And not only is he healed, delivered, and free. But he, then he got pardoned and released. What? His story is so insane. He was on death row. He got released. He, I think he did 12 years, I think was the total time. But now he wrote a book. He had a help, help with another writer. He wrote his story. It's, so, it's such a transformation of a life. This little woman from Compton was the fiercest, fiery spear in the hand of the Lord going into that hardened, horrible place and saying, God has a hit on you. Jesus loves you, and so do I. And she wouldn't give up on this guy. When he wrote the book, the publisher, Joel and Harper Collins, put a blog out on the Internet about his life. Some random lady in Hollywood clicked on the blog and she read this story of this man and the transformation of a little tiny lady from Compton doing prison ministry and she burst into tears. She is basically uh, 
a person who's a very heavy hitter. I, I can't tell you which studio and all that stuff, but they're not a Christian studio. They have done some of the most major motion pictures of our time. But she grew up as a missionary kid. And guess what her parents' ministry was? Prison ministry. Dun, dun, dun. She was so moved, she figured out how to contact him. And he thought, well, who is this person? And she said, I, I have already told your story to the president of our company. We want to make a movie about your life. And he said, what? I have to call Joel. <laughs> Joel. He calls Joel. He goes, do you think this is legit, Joel? I don't know anything about this stuff. And Joel looks it up and figures out who these people are. Then the next week, Joel and this guy get on a plane and go meet with these people. And they are now working on casting this entire movie. Do you understand that breakthrough, the movie, the Christian movie breakthrough about the woman who proclaimed her life, her, her child would not die? That movie is the only movie that that, that that motion picture studio actually made money off of. The only, the only film they produced this year that made money was that film. And they're not a Christian film studio. God is doing some crazy things in media because people are willing to go and be the spear. So I want you to stand. And I'm going to ask our team to come up again. So, Father, I thank you right now. I'm just going to slip that right there. Father, I thank you right now that it is your desire, God. It is your desire, to strategically place us in your hand and fire us off (laughs) where we infiltrate the enemy camp. So, Lord, I feel like Star Trek. We're going to boldly go where no one has gone before. Yeah. So I thank you, Holy Spirit. Just more. Just let there be more right now. This is all about stepping into what God has already done. This is all about believing and agreeing. What does God say? What did he call you to? Whatever the excuse is, no more. No more, no more, no more, no more. Okay, we're going to wait for his presence to increase. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow, there's just such a thickening up here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. More, more. More. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, more. Let it increase right now. Let it come. Hey. So when you begin to feel that burning on you, that, ah, I want you to make your way up here and we're going to lay our hands on you. I need a couple guys to catch and we'll get you at the end. We'll get the catchers at the end. Yeah. And team, I just want you to lay your hands on them and bless what God is doing. 